Hello and welcome to this episode of Voice of the Fire. And for this episode I would like to look at the idea of the storyteller. Especially the storyteller as seen in Europe. The person walking through the world not unlike a sadhu, completely apart from society, a calm observer of human foibles and lapses of their dreams, their hopes, their fears. This is, of course, an idealized image, and this is what we miss when we say that there is no more traditional storytelling. We say there are no wandering bards anymore, no minstrels, no traveling actors. We don't see them anymore, those images of freedom, of the denial of society's restrictions. There's none of that anymore. But did it ever exist, or is that very image stuff of dreams and fairy tale fantasies. I believe to a certain degree it is. If there's any age that's ideal for storytellers, it would be this one, with its wealth and multiplicity of stories and media to transmit them. We don't really need a singer to walk from village to village with his songs as much as our nostalgic selves might wish for that, when we can listen to pretty much anything on YouTube or on iTunes. We all are born storytellers. That's our fate as humans, and it's not such a bad fate. Stories shape who we think we are. We must constantly tell and retell them. Everyone around us must know who we are. And not only that, not only small, interpersonal stories about our cats and what hurt us when we got out of bed this morning. Of course, we need the personal, but we also yearn for the epic. And for that, we have institutionalized storytelling in the formulae of Hollywood and other dream factories. We also have our more propagandistic endeavors. Advertisement. The evil twin of a good story. The legendary bard of yore and news of his arrival, those are now a week's anxious wait for the next episode of our favorite TV show. We have always, at any time, a wealth of stories to choose from, not just written text, but recordings, videos. Within minutes from reading about anything, say, you read about the songs of African slaves that, and prisoners that gave birth to what would later become spirituals and jazz, and you research that, you type it into Google, you go to on YouTube, and you can hear those very songs. You don't have to think about something for weeks or months before you finally get access to it. You have access at your fingertips. We are constantly in a library, surrounded by all the knowledge that there is to be had. Still, it's rather boring and dull to look for all of this information on our own. We love to see a man or a woman perform in front of our eyes and witness that strange, magical transformation that rips the world in half and shows us our dreams. We like to experience that first-hand. Experience through a screen is second-hand, we suspect, eventually dulling our senses rather than sharpening them. So we keep dreaming about the storyteller. 
about the stranger that arrives and changes things by his words or his mere presence. He's one of the most persistent literary characters, isn't he? And just as he is in the idealization, so is the idea that folk tales are, well, how to say it, um, told by folks. At least our European stories, and by extension the American stories, that are cleaned up, scrubbed, dressed up in well-behaved versions of something that was already kind of doing that. The stories that we know and like, Red Riding Hood, Cinderella, the musicians of Hamelin, they were not told by simple farmers or cobblers who spun them for their children or dug them from the earth they tilled. I mean, I like, for example, the idea of a group of rowdy workers telling a story like Red Riding Hood, which we have firmly restricted to preschool grounds, but which is, in its root, a story about burgeoning female sexuality, a story that can frighten or excite. Can you imagine it? The wolf becoming a true beast, the tension and fear of the se first sexual encounter in her repetitions of his big, well, features. But most likely it wasn't so, most likely it wasn't ordinary people. The people collecting and editing and sometimes even telling these stories, they were not ordinary folk. They were educated, quite often from the upper middle class, and not rarely did they do what they did because it put them in touch with the upper class, with people of leisure who could enjoy and tell and spin stories. The scholar Jack Sipes has done some fascinating analysis of the way famous tellers like the Brothers Grimm, Hans Christian Andersen or Oscar Wilde struggled with their own position in society. Yet today we think that fairy tales and folk tales were told by ordinary folks for ordinary folks. We don't think that they, like Charles Perrault's stories, were spun by courtly ladies whose most pressing concern was the shade of colour of their evening gown and who had the freedom denied to the wandering bard to think about stories as art. Even the most famous source of the Brothers Grimm, the proud farmer Dorothea Fiemann, who could recite the stories word for word in always the same perfect shape. She was not an ordinary farmer, but the heiress of a Huguenot family, who happened to own a little farm for, who knows, perhaps recreational pleasures. In the same way, many of the people who tell stories today, who tell the stories that we know, whether they are big video games or famous TV shows or best-selling books, are firmly middle class and perhaps above. People of leisure, quite unordinary folks. Going back further in time, I assume that the stories that were told and retold were those of tellers who had found wealthy patronage. Certainly I don't deny the existence of folk art, of true folk art. If you look around yourself you see it, even today people sit together in pubs and they play songs for each other, as long as they play their own songs, if not covers of wealthier, more well-known bards, or they tell each other stories about fish they have caught or the injustices they have received by those who stand above them. But those are short-lived tales. If anyone truly wants to stand up from this communal table and walk out into the world to tell stories and become that legendary bard who may well never have existed, 
or who, if he existed, probably endured a life of hardship and rejection more likely than one of triumph. They must tell larger tales. And for that, they must know something. So they will go out into the world, not to tell stories, but to educate themselves, to study, to work, to experience. And only then they will know what to tell and what to talk about in this, our, strange as this may sound, golden age of storytelling.